I've been like, okay, done my time, ready for my next job, (laughs) give me my next identity, make me into the next person, this is hell, okay, fun, done it. Like, it's almost been a waiting period. Like, I've been waiting for my next assignment. I've been waiting for this purpose to be delivered to me instead of understanding that my purpose is actually just, like, our purpose as human beings is to just be human beings, is to just be alive. Like, that's what our purpose is. Hey, everybody. I'm Emily McDowell. And I'm Holly Whitaker. And this is Quitted, a podcast about quitting. How are you? <laughs> um, I, as I was just saying, did too much yoga, and I kind of feel like I'm on drugs. So, um good that's great it sounds great <laughs> i think that's Except good. for the doing tons of yoga part that sounds hard <laughs> oh i actually really like doing yoga i mean it's really hard to motivate you know to do yes. anything and i think about it you know for every hour of yoga i practice i consider it for three hours before i do it and oh, so yeah. it's um that's the hardest part is just doing yeah it. um it but- is i mean the number if i had actually worked out for a fraction of the number of hours <laughs> i've spent on yelp looking up places to work out <laughs> i would be like significantly oh more God. fit <laughs> i did this like i spent i think an hour yesterday considering which class i was gonna do and filtering it different way i mean it's just yeah i have a lot uh-huh. of tricks up my sleeve to prevent yeah. me from actually yeah. doing work so um so yeah but anyway so i'm good i was saying to you i feel like this is i feel joyful today like i feel like like I said, like spacey and like I'm on drugs, but also full of joy and you know not like a like a mess. Um, and I don't know if it's better than being focused, um, and and able to do work and depressed. Um, mm. but I'm gonna go with I will this take, is better. Yeah, <laughs> I will any day of the week take joyful mess <sighs> than focused depressed person. Yeah, yeah, totally. How are you doing? I am doing okay. I have a little bit of whiplash. I was in Minnesota this last week because my mom had a second hip surgery. She had the first hip done a couple months ago. She had this one done. She's got cardiac stuff going on. She's just Mm. in a tough place health-wise. And so my sister lives there and I kind of come in and out and, you know, I am not as present as I would like to be. And at the same time, I chose not to live in Minnesota. Yeah. And I don't want to live in Minnesota. I did I did once for 10 years yeah. and I liked it, but I've had enough winter and I anyway, my life is here in Oregon. <laughs> so I uh, yeah, so it's kind of so I just got back from that yesterday and it's always kind of re-entry of like yeah. Oh, what where where do I live? Who what's my life? You know, going from being 15 in your head, which is what happens to yeah. me when I'm a, I'm around my my mom, Same. to you know fast forwarding and trying to not be 15 when you actually have 15 year olds who you're taking care of, which is <laughs> what I am doing. <laughs> so so yeah yeah so I'm doing that, but I'm I'm good beyond that. It is such a trip, and as much work as I've done around not regressing into that self, it's really hard not to to go back in to that it when you go back so into hard. your family system. It is, it is yeah. the hardest work, I think, for me. Some of the hardest work for me is 
trying to be an adult functioning person when I'm back in old family dynamics. It's really hard. Well, and forgetting all the growth that you've I mean, for me, I forget how tall I stand in my life. Yes. And how much work I've done. Yes. And, and I yeah. just play out that role. And you and I are similar in that we're the, you know, like I, I love family systems and I love the idea of like, you know, figuring out how we fit into things. And this summer I had a breakthrough with my therapist when I realized I'm the bad one. You know, I'm the one that's always fucking up. And that's my role no matter mm-hmm. what changes in my personal life when I go back into my family system and my sister's a good one and she's the martyr and she fixes everything. She's very, you know, she's a responsible one. And even if she's not acting in those ways, that's her role and that's what we've agreed on. And I'm the one that makes everything hard on everyone and that mm-hmm. ruins everything and that doesn't pull her weight and the, you know, the selfish one. And I think like this You've just described we my role in my family yes. as well. Yeah. We just, <laughs> we realized the other day that we both play this role in our families that, you know, growing up. I was the one that was causing all the problems. Things were my fault. Things were, and and that has con- con- just continued to sort of play out. Um, yeah. Whatever you know, no matter what "quote unquote" reality is, just whose reality are we talking about? You know, it's so entrenched. And I actually really love Ram Dass's. Um, Ram Dass has written many books, um, but there's one, and I can't remember which one it is, if it's his Bhagavad Gita one or whatever, but I love how he talks about seeing his family dynamics with his father. Is You know, he goes, he's like this Harvard professor and is a psychologist, and he goes away to India and does a ton of fucking drugs and comes back, and he's like got like, you know, 200 naked hippies on his property, like with his dad there. And I love same. reading that because did you say same? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I did. So relatable. With my, <laughs> it's same, and that's what I did. And I learned, you know, but he, I love how he observes the relationship with his father. And uh, like I, I've gotten so much from that, and not attaching myself too tightly to the roles I naturally want to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that to be so helpful, and just knowing it. You know what I mean? Like being able to see like, oh, I see myself going down this path of acting out the same. Yes. Yes. Being the observer, being able to to make some space between sort of stimulus and response where you can be the observer and be like, wait, oh, here yeah. I'm watching myself. Just taking that pause rather than being reactionary yeah. in the same way that I was yeah. as a kid. And being so fully invested in it, right? Like being so yeah. fully invested in that like story of yourself. Um, yes. Also, really having the knowledge that, like, I'm actually not this person. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Fuck, it's hard. It's so hard. It Ugh. is hard. Yeah. Anyway, so um, today is um, a very special guest on our show. Um, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wanted to take a minute before we go into this episode. We re- how many? We recorded this what twenty times. Um, uh, 64 times we recorded right. no, we recorded and 73 three, times we tried. I think three was it three or two this, this is the third three this is the th- I think this is the third try mm-hmm. yeah so this is hard because I'm in the middle it's really hard to explain your quitting story when you're still like cast off in it and you're still 
it's really hard to write from I, I think it's really hard to to write from an open wound. Yes. Um because you don't It's hard have to live a story yeah. and talk about it at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And I've quit a lot of things. Obviously, I quit drinking, I quit bulimia. Um, or not obviously if you have no idea who the fuck I am, but I have written a lot and talked a lot about things that I've quit that were bad things, that were things that I – or like in my mind, you know, quote unquote bad things. Let's not like value judge it. But like I've I've walked away from harmful things and um, that were easy to make sense of just not doing anymore. And this is really me trying to tell the story of leaving Tempest but also – um, that kind of grief and liminal space, that like empty period that came after it, which I'm still in, I'm still in the in-between. I, I really don't, you know, this is the beginning, this podcast is the beginning. I've, I've started some other things, but I think that it, um, I still, you know, Em, like when you make a transition between something that's really huge, there you can start, there can be new beginnings and new like percolations. But like for me, I still feel like I'm kind of at the bottom of a hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, sometimes at least with what I've found with beginnings of things, I don't realize necessarily at the time that I'm in, be- that things mm-hmm. are beginning. Yeah. Like you look back and say like, oh, and you can see a thread and say like, oh, that was the beginning of that thing. Yeah. But especially when you're in that sort of liminal space of grief or um, not knowing who you are, you've lost some kind of grounding sensibility. In your case, this this identity around Tempest, yeah, which is the company that you founded. Let's Let's be clear for people who have not ever heard of you or listened to you before. Yeah. Define what Tempest is. Yeah. Well, what I would really like to do is just take a few minutes, actually, because in this podcast, we finally went with this third one because I could not make Emily sit down and go through the shit again. Um, And because I want to not try and make it perfect. And um, I think that when I listened back and was editing this episode, I I felt that anybody coming into this might get really lost um, in some tangents. And so I think what I would like to do is just give a bit of a timeline before we go into this episode so that um, it's grounded in to some sort of linear progression and timeline that that you can make sense of and to be clear about some of the things that happened. But I I left my previous life and my previous role at a company. I I got sober in 2013. In 2014, I left a startup I was working at. I went and uh, I started working on Tempest really in 2013 while I was still at this company. Um, In 2014 to 2017, I bootstrapped the company. Um, It was meaning I did not take any funds from outside investors or uh, do anything aside from really just working um, on developing a program that helped people quit drinking, which is what Tempest is. It's an alternative approach um, or a complementary approach to existing modalities that helps people to change their relationship with alcohol. And I worked on this until 2017. In late 2017, I raised money from uh, investors. Uh, this is called venture capital. Um, in 2018, I moved the company to New York. We grew the company from you know, me and a half of a person in 2017 to 
50 people uh, when I ended up leaving in 2021. Um, but in 2020, I late 2020, I put in a bid to uh, my board of directors to change my role into a more creative role and to hire a CEO from the outside. And then in 2021, um, that new CEO came on uh, in early in February. And then in March, uh, in well, late February and March, that CEO um you know, basically, and I have no other words for this, but push me out of the company. And so I was given choices that I wasn't going to take. Um, and it was, you know, it was a really fucked up and heartbreaking time. And also probably, I think in terms of growth, one of the best things that's that's happened to me. And so you're going to hear in this episode, I haven't really talked about that whole process because it took a long time for me to let go something I had created and was in love with and mm-hmm. felt like it was part of me. I think that feeling like the the way that everything happened in early 2021, um, you know, I didn't make any firm decisions. I moved with it the best way that I could move with anything. And I didn't fully leave Tempest until I took a sabbatical and I didn't really fully leave Tempest until like the summer of 2021. Um and, you know, since then I stayed on the board, I eventually ended up resigning from the board. And so it's been um, a really, really, um, a really, I think, um, beautiful and horrible and fucked up and um, interesting time of my life. And I think before we go into this too as well, I want to say that this is it's a it's a different kind of company, right? But it's also this is a very normal course of action that I'm I'm not the only person that's been through something like this. Um and I think that I I want to say that just essentially because I think part of my work and and you know talking about this really for the first time is also to um what I have tried to do is to trust in the order of things rather than blame you know, be mad at God or blame the universe or blame certain people. I think that this has really been a practice of like trusting that our life is a mystery, you know, and the way that things unfold so often do not reflect how we wish they would unfold. And this absolutely did not unfold in the way that I anticipated, hoped for, wished for, um, bet on, trusted in. It's so different than what I ever anticipated. And I think it's also I'm very grateful for it because I think that it has caused me to lose so much of myself and to lose so much of an identity that it forced me to go deeper into my own healing and into my own discovery and into my own growth in ways that I would have never, ever chosen for myself. So I hope that, you know, this episode we go into a lot of really, you know, like really, really deep parts of what that whole experience was like. But I think I wanted to set that timeline and that perspective um, that whatever you hear in this, like, I hope you take away from this that I, you know, something I didn't choose for myself turned out, you know, is turning out to be and did not feel this way for a long time and still (laughs) does not feel this way. But it has like, I respect it. I respect the order of things. And Mm -hmm. That is a baseline in my own practice and recovery that keeps me fucking sane. I do not fight the order of things. I do not swim, you know, upstream. 
or run up escalators the wrong way or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. I I try very hard to be like, got it. And so I'm going to walk with this new information and do Mm -hmm. my best um, as I'm navigating Run up escalators the wrong way is such a good way to put it. I have done that a lot. I've done it a lot. I've run up a lot of escalators. (laughs) (laughs) And the steps keep coming and people are coming down Uh and chasing a bad guy through a mall. I mean, it's like, yeah, I think it is like it is a there's that is a definite way of life that I participated in for a really long time. And I think that that is a big part of what makes what keeps me you know, happy. Yeah. Happy. Who's happy? I uh, saying something. Something. Peaceful. Going. Keeps me going. <laughs> um, should we do this episode? Yeah, let's do this episode. Okay. Pam, you want to tell them about Patreon and how they can yeah, support I'm us? Yeah, t- I'm going to tell them about Patreon. Quitted is a weekly podcast with new episodes dropping every Thursday. Before you forget, subscribe to Quitted wherever you get your podcasts. We are now up on all platforms. Quitted is listener supported, made possible by us and by you. You can support this podcast by joining our Patreon community at patreon.com slash quitted. Holly Whitaker, welcome to Quitted. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Longtime listener, first time caller. (laughs) (laughs) um thanks for being here yeah we get to tell your story today or a little bit of it anyway yeah this angle this angle i'm excited yeah me too so i want to say holly and i met while we had followed each other on instagram and i had always thought that she was extremely smart which she is and extremely successful and I was Which she awe. isn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Extremely successful, which she also is. But I was going to then go on and quantify success in a very specific way, <laughs> meaning that Holly had done venture capital, had raised venture capital for a company, which is something that I did not do and something that I always thought was like this this um kind of magical like amazing thing like how would you possibly do that mm. and she had built this um really beautiful company and i just i was like looked at her as like oh my gosh this person is like killing it this person is amazing mm. and she reached out to me um via instagram dm about a year ago and said, hi, um, can we talk? <laughs> because I am in the process of undoing myself from this thing that I built. And I don't know how to do it. And you might know how to do it, or you might know at least how to talk about it. Because I don't know anyone who can talk about this with me. And I said, yes, let's talk about it. Yeah. I think it's really it, – it's interesting because I had this idea of you that you had – I mean, you had written something. We talked about this in your episode, I think. Who fucking knows anymore? I can't even remember what day it is. Um, But 
what I remember is from that time is having watched you be Emily McDowell and then have you switch over to Emily on Life. And I remember mm-hmm. something – I don't remember it exactly, but there was this post when – I think it was probably one of your first posts saying I am maybe in Bali and I – I it got to, it, what I picked up from it was this got to be too much. I lost myself. I miss talking to you all. I feel like I've been filtered. I am um, getting back to uh, why I want to do this in the first place, and that thing in myself. And what I read into that because it was my experience at the time, which was there's a person under here that got buried, and I I am going to risk this thing that I built in order to return to the roots of why I cared about life in the first place, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that I had thought you'd already – I really thought you'd left Emily and friends or Em and Mm -hmm. friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, but yeah, it was just – you were the – I had talked to a lot of CEO founders that had like started companies and then replaced themselves as CEO. I mean, there's – fantastically famous examples of this. Obviously, Steve Jobs was fired from Apple. Um, There was, you know, I spoke with a lot of founders that were in smaller companies or Mm -hmm. even like larger companies that had replaced themselves. It had gone well. It had gone terrible. All sorts of things had happened in this. But none of them, their identities were wrapped into it, obviously, but they were mostly, they were all male, all of them. And they um they they had money <laughs> from it they had you know like all sorts of different things had kind of happened for them that didn't feel like um were relevant to what my experience was and you mm-hmm. it felt like maybe this bitch knows what's happening to me mm. yeah yeah i mean because you created Tempest out of your own personal experience, like your DNA, your everything, your story, your identity was intertwined with that company. Yeah. It was, I mean, made out of my flesh, right? Right. Yeah. So, and you did. And we, you felt like the only other person in the world that knew a bit about what I was going through. And that's, that's how we became friends. And I think that very shortly thereafter was when I asked you to do this podcast and you said, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So. A year ago. So. Uh, yeah. So. It <laughs> but I love it. I love that it took us a while um, because we really did our own timeline. We didn't do it for any of the reasons that I've done things in the past, which is we didn't out do of it like, to save ourselves, right? Like to save ourselves or like out of fear someone else would do it first or mm. out of like this sense of, oh, we, I have this idea and I have to get it out as soon as possible because that's just how what we have to do to things, do. you know, what yeah. you're supposed to do. So anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about what happened because I think that people some of the people listening to this may know a bit, but a lot of people don't. So let's back up and just talk about your story a little bit. Yeah. So I think the first thing that's probably important to talk about is um, how I came to Build Tempest, which was through quitting, right? And I don't want to go too deep into it because every story I feel that I've ever put out there is saturated with this this timeline. But 
just for the purpose of creating a baseline. I was uh, in 2013, I got sober. I got sober working within the healthcare system, working at a really progressive startup that has now publicly traded and did really well. I grew up in startup culture. My first job out of college was in Silicon Valley in San Jose. I worked at you know, tech companies as a, an auditor for Deloitte and Touche. And I, it was ingrained in me when you say, you know, you had this idea of what startup, you know, or what venture capital was. I was obsessed with the idea of venture capital because I lived in an area of America that was, the economy was built off of it. And mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was what we knew and what we did. And it was, it was status. And I, I ended up working within a startup from 2009 until 2014 that was based on using venture capital, using, using outside investor funds in order to incubate and grow a more progressive model of primary health care. And I was obsessed with this company. It was what we would call a mission um, a, a mission driven organization. The mission was to provide um, more better care, better health care. Just essentially, it was a membership model, it was super you know bougie you know, classes, you know, all sorts of things that I understand now and didn't really understand then. But mm -hmm. it really meant to fix the healthcare system through capitalism. Um, and doing so by by essentially providing patients better care by leveraging a membership model. And mm -hmm. I was obsessed with what we were doing because this is also around the time of Obamacare. This is also around the time of the the you know essentially us understanding how absolutely fucked up the healthcare system was. And so I threw myself into it and I also became addicted while I was working there. And I had this really strange experience of believing that what we were doing was going to fix access to healthcare and then having this alternative experience where I was increasingly becoming dependent on alcohol and drugs. My eating disorder was out of control. Um, I was dying. I was really physically mm. sick as well as also mentally sick. And I had this experience of going to one of my friends who was a doctor and telling them this and then really having no meaningful options, you know, go to AA, go to rehab. And both of those were non-starters for me uh, yeah. based on where I was. And I ended up finding, you know, a, a different way. And I did that. I didn't miss a day of work. I didn't use my, I was, my job at the time was to make sure everyone that walked through our doors could use our health insurance card and receive reimbursement for the services we provided. And my insurance card didn't work on what I needed. Um, I paid out of pocket for mental health services. I, um, the, the different treatment programs that were available, uh, were, were hardly reimbursed and would have cost a lot out of pocket. And so it was just, it was interesting. And I ended up hacking together. Oh, right. We said we weren't going to say, I ended up piecing together um, this <laughs> very, very specific and personalized approach to quitting drinking that evolved a lot of changing my beliefs around alcohol and all sorts of non-medical interventions. And then mm -hmm. in a really short period of time, comparatively, I got sober. And then also I started to teach all of these providers I was working with 
like I knew more than my doctors and my doctor friends in a really short period of time about alcohol and addiction. I mean, a shocking amount. And so yeah. I I think it was somewhere in all of this. Plus at the time I was, I mean, these were just really crazy years of my life, right? I was, I'd been in a relationship with the CEO of the company. We had broken up years before toward the end of my time there. I was, I was reporting directly to him, which was Oof. just like, um, so unhealthy and toxic, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was so fucked up. And I had, um, I, you know, like kind of in, um, in a nod to the idea behind this and also the idea of how important it is to quit. I didn't believe at that time that I, you know, for me, I was obsessed and I was digging into addiction recovery. I was spending like my free weekends going to healthcare conferences for fun and um, going to luncheons to like meet people in the space and like doing all sorts of weird things that normal people don't do um, because I was obsessed with this idea that there was a better approach that existed in order to help people recover from addiction and that like the healthcare system was missing and, and just like the addiction recovery system was missing it entirely. And at this time, like there was one book that existed um, that really holistically captured the recovery system and it was by David Sheff and it's, you know, it doesn't really like it doesn't it, it doesn't um it, it hasn't aged well you know there was just so little out there and i was in this space of you know after having quit all of these things like quitting alcohol quitting pot quitting bulimia quitting um my friends quitting this identity this job and quitting and, the job right quitting well, too, I had to quit you the also job left yet. the job Right. Mm, like I, okay. this was what I'm saying is I was in this period of time from 2013 to 2014. I had quit drinking. I had quit. I had released all these different identities. I had quit mm -hmm. all these different things, but I was still staying at this job. And in 2014, like February of 2014, I had this experience or Jan it was it was it was his birthday. It was like January 27th, 2014. I was in New York and I had this experience where I was on this precipice of I know something has to change. I know that I'm supposed to do something else. And I um, and also I had this incredible job that I didn't um I didn't believe I could leave. And I also, you know, weirdly didn't believe I could leave him. didn't believe I could leave this last piece of my identity. It was the last rock, you know, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I ended up um, having a fight with him and I quit in this really, um, um, like this, this really like half-baked moment where I just like lost my shit and told him to fuck off and um, ended up uh, without any, like I had no safety net. I had no real idea what, what I was leaving for, but I ended up jumping off this cliff and, um, and essentially, you know, deciding in the moment when I had had enough that I would be able to figure it out. And so I, that was, you know, seven years ago, over seven years ago. And when I left all of that behind to go out and build what, you know, then eventually became Tempest, there was this period of time where I thought that what I was moving toward and what I was moving to build was um, just kind of the last time I would have to do that kind of thing. And so I mm – -hmm. Yes. I, like I'm, I got rid of all this stuff. I'm that's right. starting over. 
I'm building from a new place. I'm doing this like intentionally now. I get it. I get who I am. Like, here I go. And I, yeah. And I think it's a lot like when you talk about advertising, right? Like, it's a lot about how. Mm-hmm. You, when you left advertising, you left it to go out and build your own company. Now, I had like, I had been behind power, I had fallen in line behind powerful men for so long. I was always the one in the back. When I first started working at this company, this last company that I've ever been employed by, um, I was behind the scenes and I felt like, I mean, it was not a mistake. Like, it wasn't an accident that I ended up getting into a relationship with the head of the company because that was where I believed I got my power from. Mm. I never believed that I could do something, stand on my own two feet, build my own thing. Um, I just didn't feel good enough to do that. I didn't. And I, I had this moment when I quit that day where I went to, um, I quit in, um, I quit that job in New York city. I was, um, in, uh, one of our offices and the Flatiron, And I went to like Madison square park the day I quit. And I walked around the park a couple of times and I listened to Alicia Keys brand new me. And it was like the theme song of my life at the time, because what was like the change that I was calling in was I'm not going to stand behind powerful people and I'm not going to hide my power behind powerful people anymore. And I, there was a lot, I think what I'm building to is just saying there was a lot that went into this change, which was one, I thought what I was moving toward, I would stay in forever. And two, so much of it was fueled, one, by my anger at the system and my anger at the treatment of addiction. It was also fueled by my ideas of how people build things. You know, it wasn't the girl boss fucking era. And mm-hmm. I'm so angry at that word. But like, it was to me that everything that I had been enculturated with for Absolutely. for over like for fifteen years, yeah, your whole working life, you had been indoctrinated into a system of this is how you succeed. This is how like, you succeed. This is and what this success. Is how you build. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is like in like if you have a good idea and you want to spread it, you raise capital and you build it that way. Mm-hmm. And it was for me the the only sensical thing to do. And I really thought in those first early years, and again, this is like undergirded by this passion to do something that I felt was so obvious and so important, which was to build like a holistic, um, like a a middle ground between AA and rehab, right? To build Mm -hmm. something that was just a cheaper, more accessible, more effective model. And I, I did this, you know, really under this under this belief that the the only way that this could take hold was if I followed in my ex boyfriend's footsteps, right? And I remember well, I studied in the footsteps him. of every you know the play in the playbook that was the you know the it's entire still the playbook. playbook. But, it's still yeah. a fucking playbook. It still is, but like exactly. And I I remember I had this this like meeting with my therapist and. I rearranged the meaning of my relationship with him to be the meaning that I was an understudy, learning how to like build something great, mm-hmm. which makes my body hurt now. But it was true. I mean, I felt like I that I had all like the intersection of my industry knowledge, of healthcare knowledge, of venture capital knowledge, and of also just like my burgeoning knowledge of and and also like obsession with the addiction space. It felt like this. It was always this is how we're going to do it. I started mm-hmm. trying. I started talking to investors and trying to raise capital in like 2014. Yeah. 
so, okay. So you, you know, you start building Tempest in the only way that feels viable in the only way you know how in the way that every message in the culture that you've been in has been telling you that that's how you do it. And you build this thing and your CEO and your founder, and you do all the stuff that you're quote unquote supposed to do. And then what happens? You're running a company and how does the reality of running that company <laughs> feel to you? Excuse me. Sorry. I thought you are laughing. Um, no. <laughs> also, um, also laughing, but yes. How does that feel? How does that feel in your body? Well, I mean, I think at first it was like it saved me. And I – how does that feel? I mean, I raised my first round uh, of capital in uh, 2000 and – um. 2000, like like Christmas 2017, we closed and it raised $2.3 million. And I had been bootstrapping, right, working, building this thing since 2000. And, and um, I mean, since honestly, since 2013, but you know, full time since 2014. Mm-hmm. And so came right into 2018 with capital. And I think that at that time, it felt... I mean, I've never been more committed to anything in my whole entire life. And I think that that was – I remember watching, like, The Crown. um, And I know this is, like, delusions of grandeur. But um, I remember watching Queen Elizabeth and just being, like, I understand her sense of duty. And Uh I – I mean, I had no life. And I was killing myself physically, right? Like, I was not sleeping. I was um, never off. I, you know, I would go to Italy for months at a time, but like I would ruin myself and then I would like show up on the shores of the motherland and like have to like nurse myself back to health and then still end up working from there. And it was this, it was this slog because that was the image, those were the images that were given to me. You know, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of advisors and a lot of them were like, you can do this lifestyle business or you can build this into something that is viable and can scale and can reach a lot of people. And for me, it was, I was always torn between those two things because there, you know, the, the, uh, the latter was the antithesis of recovery. And at the same time though, it felt like I had no other choice. And I mean that in the sense of, I felt like I, I felt like compelled and, uh, and also just, so driven and so in love with with how I was spending my life. Yeah. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I think that when, you know, as the company grew so in 2018, there was – in 2017, there was me and a half employee. 2018, by the end of that year, I think we were up to like 12. In 2019, we were up to like 40. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. when I ended up leaving in 2021, we're 50 – plus 10 contractors, so really large company. We'd raised, you know, millions and millions of dollars at that point. Um, how it felt was, um, I mean, there was this, like, period of time where I was, where I was, um, like, from 2010 to 2011, at the end of when my drinking, my life was so off the rails, I couldn't place myself in time. Like, I... I wasn't there. I was just 
it's so disassociated and surviving. And I remember, and I, and I remembered, I don't remember this period of time, if that makes sense. It was like 2017 ended and I remember being in San Francisco, you know, and then all of a sudden I moved across the country without even like, I mean, I'd been to New York plenty, but I moved, I moved my whole life across the country. Like I, I upended my life and I moved the company to New York and I just, it was just like, it felt like I don't, it felt, it feels the same. It feels like the end of my addiction, right? Which is, I was surviving. And I think like the part of it that feels the most horrible about all of it was that, um, was that I was so afraid of having had made the same mistake, but mm. this time being bought into it, having a lot of other people bought into it, you know, and yeah. meaning because I think, yeah, well, I, I think that there's something that most people don't get about venture capital, and I did not get this, and it sounds so basic, but when you raise money, it's not like it's your money, like it's money that is being specifically given to the company for the specific purpose of making it profitable so that those people can make their money back. Yeah. And so well, you I mean, are, yes. Right. Like, so the pressure, yes, you have yeah. all this money to do something with, but then. But it's other people's money. It's and, other people's money. Yeah. And they have a lot of influence over your life. Um, and I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff in there. It's just like, I, I think that there was, for the most part, it was this idea of like, um, it being, you know, I got into that same habit at some point of just saying on Monday, you know, on Monday, I'll start, you know, doing whatever again. But it felt like everything was, it felt, it, it just felt impossible. It didn't feel impossible. And then it felt extremely impossible because the difference between, you know, I'm, I'm creative and I created something and I'm, I'm inventive, but I'm not really a people manager and there is like mm-hmm. these erroneous expectations placed on founders to be CEOs of their company unless they have structured it in a different way um but i felt like i was supposed to be everything to everybody and during all this time i wrote a book you know like marketed the book we you know like changed yeah, which is like a whole there was- other full-time job like you were doing multiple full-time jobs you know being an being an author and marketing a book yeah. That would become a New York Times bestseller. Like that's its own thing, you know? And then But I wasn't also, even there at all. I mean, like the thing yeah. is, like, even as you're saying this, I'm just like, it's like it wasn't even that it was impossible, because it was, but it was also like it was soul sucking. And here yeah. I am, and I'm I built this thing on this image of myself and my success in recovery, which was a true thing, but I'm killing myself. And all, and also just like eating it, and also stuffing it down because it feels like such a like a humiliating thing. It's just like when Caleb was talking about, you know, like I I was I was I did not feel that I was good at what I did. I did not feel that I was meant to run a large company, and I mm-hmm. did not understand like how to navigate that at all. And 
it was just like when Caleb said he made it to the NFL, but then he was also, (laughs) you know, like terrible in the NFL. And there is this like extreme sense of, and I know everyone talks about how they have, what is that word? Um, you know, imposter syndrome, but it wasn't even imposter syndrome. It was just like, no, I'm terrible at this. And this is Mm -hmm. actually fucking killing me. And I think that there was just for me, the whole, what the whole thing felt like, and I don't want to, I don't want this to be like a, Oh, tell like how bad was, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want this, like, I don't want this to feel like sympathy for the founder of the company that couldn't hack it or whatever the fuck it was, what it truly was, was running up against this reality that I had, I had created for myself consensually, desirably, and that I hated it. And that I got to all the markers I said would be the the have here I have made it markers and I was so fucking empty and like I remember I went to this event for the dial press and like I was so depressed I spoke on a stage I was like I should it should have been the time of my life I Glennon's on the stage and fucking Rachel's on you know Rachel Carwell's on the stage and my editor, Whitney Frick, is there and my agent's there and it's like a sold-out event. And I'm just supposed to stay for a picture afterwards. That's it. Just a picture. And I can't even stay because I my skin is – my skin mm. – it feels like my skin is coming off in the same way it used to feel like my skin was coming off when I was drinking. And I – and then I have to go to work the next day and smile and be the – the cheerleader for mm. you know 50 people that work at this company and it was just like it, like so imposter syndrome is like a really nice way of saying i felt <laughs> like i would have rather i felt like i had mistakenly made i had made the wrong life and yeah it, it's like and it's, it's like hard. A, yeah it sounds like a i mean when you compare it to when you were drinking Tell me if this feels accurate because it sounds like just an incredibly deep disconnection from yourself. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's just – that's exactly it. It's disconnection. It's disassociation. It's just surviving. Mm -hmm. And I – and it's like I I was also just (laughs) – I mean there was like – so you're – like there's also just this unbelievable pressure, right, to hit your numbers by your – Oh, my gosh. For your investors or your board. But then also there's like this special piece of being like the fucking – like there was also like the disconnect between being like a celebrity in some ways around my book and having that mm-hmm. much attention on me. And you're supposed to like, you know, like successful CEOs, I'm sorry, their job is to just shut the fuck up and be in the background and lead the company. And so that felt like being pulled in two and yeah. like, like, I, like they were so counter – yeah, you have so oppositional objectives, right? That's like right. you have there's two opposing objectives that you're trying totally. to achieve at once. Totally. And and I hated that part too. Like I did just want to like be behind the scenes and lead. And so I, you know, and and there's this big fuss being made about me. And so oh god, that 
And then there was just also, I think, this sense of, I mean, just feeling like I was failing everybody constantly, all the time, you know, essentially consistently feeling like I couldn't be worse at my job or more unqualified if I tried. And that was purely the result of just the external manifestation of what I was feeling on the inside. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like this story of like, oh, like it's a simple way to say, oh, I reached this goal and it was empty because I was waiting to get to the go- I was staking all of my future on that outcome and I wasn't paying attention to my life as I was getting there. And that's true, right? That's also true mm-hmm. that I reached this like, oh, we're here and it didn't provide me the bang I thought I would get at this stage. I had, right, like you know, I climbed like, the ladder and then – the view sucked, you know, which is a right, which is con- a constant thing that we have to deal with in, in this society. But it was more like I, um, I was just keeping. I was barely able to. I was not. I was not. I was barely able to function. And I, um, and and it's not to say like I wasn't functioning. I wasn't showing up. But I think it was just like you can't be that disconnected from yourself. I don't care who you are. You cannot mm-hmm. be that disconnected from yourself and be effective in the world. And mm-hmm. I was so disconnected from myself. And so I, it came to a head and, and I think that I was um, – I said – you know, I, I I didn't allow – it's the same thing like with drinking. I didn't allow myself to consider it because it felt like so humiliating to concede that maybe I couldn't run the company, you know, and – no, but when you're in it, it feels like you're supposed to be able to do it and that there's something wrong with you if you can't. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt like there, you know, that was just it. It felt like, you know, it felt like there was something wrong with me. <laughs> so I ended up, so in August of 2000 and I'm 20 and then all of all, and then society started to implode entirely in on itself. I finally said out loud to one of my friends, what if I wasn't doing this anymore? And they were just relieved. And then I said it to another friend and the same thing. It was, it was so much like saying, I think something's wrong with my drinking. And, um, I had, you know, so I had validation at first and, I I talked to a bunch of advisors and then I told the board that I was going to replace myself as CEO. And at this point, I really, um, to me, this, you know, this is, I think, just put this in context. This is a big deal, but it's not a big deal. A lot of founders do it. I had intended to stay on at the organization. And I think that we spent maybe like six months uh, looking for a replacement for me. And we found one and I hired her in February of 2021. She came on board and then um, I plan to stay on and be involved in the organization. And, you know, it didn't last long. So just, you know, maybe a few weeks in, um, I left on a sabbatical. Um, and then I just never went back. And what was going through your head at this time? I mean, the idea of even taking a sabbatical from this thing, which I know felt like a relief in some ways, but also Mm. 
felt really <laughs> groundless. I mean, because this had been your identity, like this had been everything who you were privately and publicly. Yeah, I know. And I just didn't think I was going to live through that, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I – it took a lot, like I – like to again, to put in context, just replacing myself, it was a big deal, but it wasn't that big of a deal, especially based on this idea that I would just stay in a salary job and, um, you know, move into doing the parts of the job that made me come alive. And it was it, – you know, I had individual conversations with literally everyone at that company to tell them. And I spent, I think, 10 hours on calls one by one calling people up and letting them know I'm replacing myself as CEO. Crying. Everyone, I think, was scared, but also everyone had thought it was a good idea. Mm. And then, you know, I I, I banked on this idea of, of this. I, this I, I had a, an expectation of how it would turn out. And I, I, I and the board, we hired the person we thought would best lead the company forward and grow the company. But there was also just this expectation that I would continue on and in this really specific way and have total control over it and just kind of live my life out happily and quietly working behind the scenes, doing the things, doing the things you were good at, you know, the story of like, Like I get to do this my way now that I know better would come Mm -hmm. into my, you know, house in the morning (laughs) and they would dress me and like rabbits would brush my hair and then I'd go off to my zoom and we would build beautiful things and laugh. And, and it was just like, it literally took, I think, it took just oh god i think three weeks um and um you know i was i mean i i went on a vacation and i came back and my job description was changed and um i think like this is important because in this story of talking about quitting i never thought i could actually i just you know it's a slow trickle right i think when we think about endings there's this joan didion quote that i wrote or read in the White Album during this time. And in it, she says that she never sees endings. She always sees beginnings. And I personally only see endings. And, Mm. but I also, like, you know, to my credit, I only see endings. There's that line from Station Eleven where she says, I'm I'm at my best when I'm escaping. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> and I <laughs> I I think I, I saw this slow trickle of an ending and it started with, oh, this isn't working. You know, it probably started when I lost my hearing from sleeping two hours a night. Oh. I don't know, but like it was a slow trickle. And then I made this one decision and that one decision kind of prepares you for the next decision. But the, the the next decision, when my job description was changed and I was placed in, in circumstances that like my body actually rejected. My body, I came back from this vacation last February and I was given three options. And, you know, at this company I fucking created and I, my body recoiled, right? Like I, mm-hmm. um, the thought of violating myself in that way. And this is, I think this is so important because I felt equally responsible for everyone involved from investors to employees to customers everyone else right oh and then also there was this there was my body saying absolutely no more 
You are yeah. not going to hurt yourself in this way again. And that is so important. I want to I want to just like stop there for a second because I think that this is something that applies to so many people when we're deciding to quit something because a lot of the time a quit you are going to be you are going to disappoint the people around you. You are going to like when you think about quitting from a logical perspective, meaning everything you've been trained to do, everything your rational mind says to do, you're going to say like, I can't quit. You know, what about this? What about this? What about those people? What about that? But then there's when you try it on in your body and you try on these options of staying versus leaving Mm. and your body, like when leaving feels like a relief or just a yes, like when Everything about staying feels like a no, even though the logical brain and the world is screaming at you to stay and stick it out. I think that it's so important. Like that's a, that's something that I use. And I think that that's something, you know, I know that that's something that you used. And we talked about this the other night, right? Yeah. That's what I said to you, which is like, we were talking about, I don't even remember, it doesn't matter, but it was just simply, I said, the only thing that I have let guide me, and since that moment, right, since that moment was how is this showing up in my body? And the rational part will say, you know, stay, stick it out. You have so much to lose if you go. Think mm-hmm. about what this person is going to say. But like at some point, and, and, and you can, you can totally override what your body is telling you to do, but it just gets. Oh my more, god, I did it, it for like easier. four years. Yeah, but it gets more yeah. painful, right? It's ruinous, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that for the like in that moment, I, I, I that was all I could do, you know. And I got praise for moving with and like being, you know, so calm, <laughs> and it was like. I'm just on autopilot, and the only thing that I'm doing right now is meditating and sleeping and listening to what my body is saying. And my body says, do not walk through that door. And so I like, it was so funny because I actually like, it wasn't so funny. None of this was funny, but, um, that was February or March. And I gave a talk, I went to an all hands meeting and I felt like it was one of those things where, um, it felt like a video where I've been for, like somebody was forcing me to like, say what I was saying. I don't want to say it was like a hostage video. It wasn't like that, but it was, it was just like, I was, I showed up and I was like, Hey everyone. Uh, so I'm going to go on a sabbatical and, um, I, uh, you know, and then I was like, okay, you know, back to you, new CEO. <laughs> okay. And Bye. then, uh, I turned off my zoom and I was at my mom's by myself and I just like had this moment and I was like, I, um, I mean, it was the most groundless moment of all of it, you know? I just, like, it didn't make sense to me why I would stay sober. It didn't make sense to me. Like, it was like there were all the reasons that had held me up and held me together just kind of went away at that moment. And, like, Mm -hmm. and and it was lonely and it was dark and I felt like a failure and all this stuff. And, um, you know, and I think, like, that's that's kind of how everything went from that point, which was I just, like, I just – I fell apart, right? And I think I fell apart and I listened to my body. I fell apart and I listened to my body. I fell apart and I listened to my body. And it was just like 
when everything, when things fall apart entirely, like when your scene comes apart, my scene came apart, right? That I'm Holly. I'm the CEO of this company. I'm a founder. I've raised 20 million fucking dollars. You know, I've created this alternative model of mm-hmm. rehab. Uh, it works. Um, I am, right. you know, I'm here's a resume for who I I'm am. York right. Time. You know, yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. like, here's yep. all of my shiny parts. But I've just like that whole scene came apart. And in this way, this this too, like this whole scene came apart. And I, you know, I lost all my, you know, like so many of my connections and I lost my sense of purpose and I lost, you know, my reason for getting out of bed in the morning and I lost my, you know, my belief in good people. And like I lost. Well, and your belief in what, like what success was, right? Like your belief in like. No, I didn't lose my belief in that yet, right? Because I still – like, I thought I was a failure. You know what I mean? I still – I believed at that time, in that early moment, that, like, I still believed that I had just done it wrong. Right. Didn't – I didn't think differently about success. I just thought I hadn't achieved it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Cool. Yeah. Like, so – Everything is wrong. So everything and is wrong. Everything is wrong again. And everything is wronger because you went into this Thinking the second I time. Figured out. Saying, I figured I had this figured out and now I'm gonna build this thing that I really believe in and I'm gonna do this forever. The forever. Like yeah. this will be me. Here I go. Yeah. And I think like so it was so fascinating about this was I, you know, I, I had a talk with one of our investors and I mean, like by everyone, by all accounts, this is, it was a good thing that it kind of, you know, got pushed out or whatever. And that just didn't work out, you know, and now the real, you know, business people could do whatever that I couldn't do. And I think like I, there was genuine support among the board and and people close to the situation of like this makes sense and this happens you know and there you know and also I had this talk with one of our investors and he was like <laughs> he said at first he said something like when I left my first company you know he's got like he's like a fucking you know bajillionaire now and he's like but when I left my first company. I thought I was so important and it turns out I wasn't. And I was like, good. Cause like, and I believe that. Like I I left, I mean, and part of this whole deconstruction was I didn't want to be on the, like hanging on the walls, you know, mm-hmm. in a hundred years. I didn't want it to be, I really truly believe in this idea of like personalized recovery. I really believe in this idea of not putting people up on fucking pedestals. And that like that like significance is this whole thing, and we can have a whole conversation about quitting the need to have a legacy or quitting the need to like be significant. But by this time, I'm very convinced that I absolutely do not want to be the face of Tempest. Yeah. <laughs> and like, um, like at all, nor like, you know, tied to its legacy. Like, uh, and, well, and I, also like Tempest the Tempest shouldn't have a face. They like, shouldn't the whole point have a of face. Tempest is to not have a face. You shouldn't know. And like I think that, that it's just an imp- it's an impossible thing. People shouldn't be put up on pedestals. Like it's mm-hmm. true. Like it it only leads to disappointment and and like it's it's so like it's such a fucking issue within our within our culture and i think that was a thing that like it took me a long time to understand that but but anyway going back to this like this summer of of hate 
um i you know i had this like i had i had this investor saying i i went like i left and I, it turned out they didn't need me and like within a week you know i he didn't he doesn't talk like that he doesn't talk like jimmy stewart but um, <laughs> he's not he's not from 1944 <laughs> <laughs> he's not old timey, but um, within a within like he's like within a week, I went to I took my family to Paris and like we you know whatever. And three months later, I had two ideas for two new companies. And um, but I and I mm-hmm. but I gave I was like cool, and I I set that timeline for myself. I was like, girl, mm-hmm. go wash your face, <laughs> go get lost, go yeah. lose, like take advantage yeah. of this time. Like let the adult let the adults handle it now. Go fucking take your three months and just like experience the world and let inspiration flow to you. And in three months, it'll be fixed, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did that. Yeah. And then at the three month mark, I had a, a call scheduled and I was, I still didn't have good boundaries around it. And after, you know, kind of what I had experienced, which was awful, you know, like I, like my body was like, you know, run forward, don't go back. I, um, I had a conversation and I didn't, hold my boundaries in it. And I was like, maybe I'll go back. And I told, you know, I told Tempest that I would come back in some form. And I got stomach flu that night. I vomited for like, I vomited for 10 hours straight. My friend had to come over. I was in Italy at the time. My friend had to fucking come over in my house and sit with me all night. Um, and like I, my body, I literally crossed my body and said, I'm going to go back into doing this thing that I mm-hmm. have been, you know, essentially like spit out of. And um, and my body just wouldn't do it, wouldn't hear of it. And that's the three-month mark. And so I think I texted that guy that told me it took him three months to figure out his next two business opportunities, like the like a couple days later. And I was like, tell me the story again of what it was can like you clarify you when can you, you – <laughs> So you said three months. So you can said, you – how many days? But I was like, just tell me the story again of how you lost your inspiration and then you found it. And he goes, mm. oh, I never lost inspiration. I never lost hope. The world was full of inspiration. And he goes, oh, shut up. I know. Oh. And then he goes, no, I mean, he's great. He's wonderful. Yeah, sure. A good man. Like, but he goes, um, I always believed I would do something great again. And he goes, maybe you'll do something. You'll do something important. It just probably won't be, I think he said as significant and or something <laughs> like that. And it was so crushing. Oh, And so, but I mean, this is all like really good. I think like this is, you know, like the point of all of this, you know, part of this is just to express kind of what all of this was like. I mean, this almost feels like an irresponsible telling of this um, because the truth of the matter is I tried my fucking best and I believed the best decision I could have made, honestly, in I believed I had gotten the organization to the point I could get it. I believed I could not as CEO do that any longer. And mm-hmm. I made the decision to replace myself with somebody that could. Uh, and I believed in that fully and I still do. I still think that that was an extremely solid and thoughtful um, uh, decision. Decision. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the decision to go on sabbatical, you know, versus take this like different and reduced and, and, and kind of punitive job description that I was offered, you know, after, um, I hired them, um, 
was again the best decision and it 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 felt the most like the most responsible thing i could do it also like you know there's all the layers of like oh i don't belong here in this thing i created and like oh like i'm a problem like you know whatever but like mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is if we're talking about this i was i was guided both by like what my body was saying but i was also guided by what is the like the best right thing i can do in this situation you know and they they all all like at every point i actually feel like I made really good decisions, thoughtful decisions. I wasn't reactionary. I you know, was very, 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 very careful about what I did and how I reacted, what conversations I had and didn't have. Um, you know, it just I navigated a really terrifying and weird and fucked up situation um, in a way that I feel really proud of. But the point is like, after all of this, you know, kind of fell apart for me personally, I, um, what it left me with when I came to that three month mark and I had no plan and I still couldn't get out of bed, you know, when I came to the nine month mark and that was still the case Mm -hmm. when I was sitting at a dinner party this summer and everyone was talking about, you know, one of my friends just got promoted to, a president of like this huge clothing line and this other this other woman you know was fucking the ceo of this other company and there's like i'm surrounded by all these people and all of their identities we know and they're tied to what they do in the world and i'm sitting there and i'm just it's it was all also like i'm one of the worst days and having to actually go through that who am i if i'm not this how do i actually stay in this like weird space of not creating the next identity to save myself from the previous identity. Mm-hmm. And I think that this period of time, you know, all the way up through today, right, has been slower. It has been more confusing than I ever thought it would be. It has been slower than I thought it would be. It has been quiet and lazy and not rejuvenating on any level. No. Like, it is not any of the things that I thought it would be. And most importantly, what it has been, I mean, it's been humiliating for sure. Mm. It's been terrifying for all sorts of reasons. Um, it has been humbling in a way that was desperately important and um, and and wide and expansive. But also, it's just more than anything got me to this next layer of if my scene comes apart and I don't identify as this thing and I don't build the next thing to identify as, like, do I even exist, you know? And if I am not in the world in a labeled sense, if I am not held up by the structures that we've all agreed on or important structures Mm -hmm. that give us a sense of self, then who am I? And I don't have the answers to those questions, but it has been. Well, I think you're living the answer to that question, li- right? right? And that's what's that's so important is like, I'm alive and I'm still here and I'm experiencing that. Like I'm learning what that is. And I don't and know what it is. That's right. It's and okay I keep like, and know. we want to bot, but we want to bottle it. And I've like, it's so interesting yes. because I've just wanted to bottle. I've want, I've been like, okay, done my time. 
ready for my next job. Mm -hmm. Give me my next identity. Make me into the next person. This is hell. Okay, fun. Done it. Like it's almost been a waiting period. Like I've been waiting for my next assignment. I've been waiting for this purpose to be delivered to me instead of understanding that my purpose is actually just like our purpose as human beings is to just be human beings, is to just be alive. Like that's what our purpose is. There is no, Mm -hmm. like my friend said the other day, like there is no fucking purpose. The purpose is the purpose. And we show up, we love each other. We try things. Yeah. We like, well, we experience it, right? Like we're mm -hmm. here. I just watched um, years and years. Have you seen that? Yeah. You know, at the end and like, I I don't want to spoil it. Well, I saw the first few episodes. Um, oh, you've got to make it to the end. I had to stop watching it because it was freaking me out. And then I it's was like, really scary. I know, yeah, but it also no. ends well. It ends yeah. well. But the, the point of it is there, it's just like at the end, it's just like we forget so often that we're here for the experience itself. We're here for the experience itself. We are not here for the goals. We are not here for the accolades because they are fucking fleeting. They are time stamped. And I think that you it is a practice to remember that like moving throughout our days is important. Being alive and having breath is important. And we are so trained to think the opposite is. The future is and not this present moment. And this is not an Eckhart Tolle or an Oprah speech. I'm just saying I think that it's a concept I might have kind of understood in passing but it's one I've had to live and it's really hard to live. And in that, in that sense, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a rearrangement and I am sure, you know, like this podcast is giving me ground. It's giving me structure. I started writing again. That's given me ground and given me structure. You know, I stayed in one place for two years. It's given me ground and it's given me structure. But I think that I, have tried so hard in this period of time to to just like to be okay to just be okay like mm-hmm. even and if, stay with it you know stay in it and not abandon it build yeah. a new thing to like build a new ladder to escape and so I don't know it's be I mean it's 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 a really interesting and beautiful time I think that this is a really I'm sure no one will agree with me on this but I keep on going what a time to be alive like what a time to be alive there's this book I'm reading by David Graeber about a new dawn of humanity and it talks about how we retrofitted periods in on like Egyptolians retrofitted periods of significance and they called you know Like the beginning, the middle, the end, and then, you know, or the, you know, whatever, the great, the whatever. Like there's these periods of times that are recognized as being significant because of what? Like the the art that was produced or the the ruling class or – The ideas that were put forward or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whatever it was. They're marked by something. But it's interesting because like periods of time, like 700 years in some cases, are just like the intermediate period between when these things (laughs) happened. Like all the people were doing in those 700 years were just like holding the space Mm -hmm. until the thing of significance came. And I think that's how we live our lives. Like uh, these are the three important epics of my life. And then the the rest is this like in-between space. And it's just like I'm biding my time until I get to the thing that counts. 
And I think that that has been what has been most profound about this all is that this in-between liminal space is like it counts. It's just it's hard to like categorize it for anything because the output of it is not pro it's not something that it's not productivity and it's not something that can be easily summed up or commodified or any of the things that we seen by anyone else it's just culturally learn how to do right like that any of those any of the markers that we learn how to apply to things and how to assign value it just there there is no it's just like i don't i haven't known how to like i haven't known how to talk to people when they're like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, laying on my couch for like six hours today, but you should see what's happening internally because it's big. <laughs> um, you know, or like, what'd you do this week? Nothing. Um, waited, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or sat with like, sat with my existential dread um, and didn't, and held that space for it, you know, or whatever. But it's just, I think that we have, especially like in COVID, we're coming up, you know, on a new life post, but we'll look at these years and, you know, it's kind of like, like, you know, with Lindsay Krause's video, and I don't know if this podcast will air before or after, let's just say, listen to Lindsay Krause's episode. But in one of her videos, she talks about these lost years, but they're also not lost years. They're, they're years where, where a lot of work was happening that we just can't understand yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's also really important is that culturally we want to immediately assign lessons to things yeah. and perspective and like, well, what did you take away? And so often you need space in order to actually figure that out, that it's not evident right away. And that perspective is something that comes with time and distance. And even, and I think it's also like, sometimes it's even just unnameable. Even like mm-hmm. sometimes you don't even count it as perspective because it's right. just, it's, it's those things. And it's also in this case, I'm just not going to, I don't know if I'm going to ever have words for what this has done, how it's, how it's rearranged me. And I also in some way don't need to, because it's just, how I'm, how I am now. Well, and you know, right. And there's no need, like we think there's a need to have to explain it to someone else, but we don't really, if you know, inside you, that's, that's its purpose. Yeah. So that's it. Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so that's how we got to today. So that's how we got to today. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what more to add on the subject. I mean, it's an unfolding story as all of our lives are. And it has made me fascinated to talk to people because I didn't expect for this period of time to hurt as much as it did. Again, at my best when I'm escaping, I think we forget if we are those kind of people that you don't just jump into the next thing, that there is often a very, very long, confusing, neutral, negative, whatever you want to call it, like weird period of time and adjustment that can extend like Mm -hmm. for a long period of time. And like any grief over any loss, like it is, it is. 
and it's there not is linear. No timeline. You know, That's like right. any grief, like it comes and goes, and you know, and it's also like we don't talk about it. We talk yeah. about we talk about quitting something and moving on to something else, and we don't talk about that space in between. Because it's like it's all the reasons that I just mentioned, which is it's yep. hard to talk about, but it's also just really embarrassing. It's just like didn't you quit your job like, you know, a year ago and you're st- and like I I don't it's still as ho- it still hurts. It's still hard. I still don't I still have I'm still in the after space of that. I'm not in the next space yet. Mm-hmm. And it's been, you know, it's it's been unrelenting. And yeah. I I surrender and then more comes for me to surrender and I surrender and then more comes for me to surrender. And so I think that in this, we don't have a language for because we gloss over all this stuff because it's so uncomfortable. And because like if I, I've lost my shit, I'm I have like literally and I mean that in the best way, I've lost my shit and the things I care about are so fucking different than what I cared about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And it has given me this like different perspective that there is no language for, right? Because it's anyway. So I think that yeah, I what I what I'm so interested in is that my story, my own personal story of quitting or of loss or failure or whatever stands on its own as important and significant and enough without having to like show what I made out of it. That this yes. right now in this space that just sucks some days, right? That's not easy is actually a worthy period of time worth living through um, that deserves to not be a value because I turned it into something that is a value, but just is a value because it's what I'm going through. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks Mm. for being here. Yeah. Anytime. (laughs) I really love what you're doing with the show. Thanks. Thanks. Leave a review. Subscribe. I will. I will. Yes. Yes. I'll go into Patreon and leave a review and and rate you. Great. Which is great. Well, thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, Life is good, though. Life is good. <laughs>